You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I pray now through the power and the preaching of the Word of God, which is, Lord, we believe it is living, we believe that it is active, we believe that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We believe that, that all scripture, every word is God-breathed and is profitable for us for teaching, reproof, training, correction, so that we may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So that's our, that's our hope, that you would right now sanctify us in truth and your word is truth. And so all those promises and, and things they teach us about what we're about to do, use it for your glory. Certainly, I am not truth. I am not living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I don't have anything in me. I am a man, broken and sinful, coming to the perfect scripture by the the Holy Spirit. And so I just pray you would fill me. I already today have fallen so short, just getting ready to preach. Uh, And so I say, woe is me sometimes. I'm an unclean man. I am unclean lips, but yet you have called me to do this. And so please help me. So that Jesus said that you're exalted, so that your people are encouraged, so that your people are built up, so that your church is equipped for every good work. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. All right. Well, I just want to, real quick, I want to give you an update. I want to thank you guys, y'all, all right? I'm from a northerner still. I can't get the used guys out of the used guys. Um, I want to thank you guys for responding last week. Y'all rose up uh, in such a great way, unlike the Falcons um, <laughs> rising up. Just, just, sorry, not really. Um, I, I told y'all, I, y'all texted me, oh, the Falcons. Look, here's here, you think I'm not, I'm not a prophet. Here's the deal. Matt Ryan is from Philly. Philly does not win Super Bowls. <laughs> I know this for 42, almost three years. You should have trusted me. Shame on you. All right, let's move on. Anyway, no, we re- you guys rose up last week, and we got 38, 40-something folks to, to volunteer and serve in CPC Kids. We still need more because that just is a huge piece of our church. Literally, a quarter of our church is back there at some point in the day. So it's awesome to see you guys. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's such a blessing to our church. Um, you guys can turn to Luke 5 if you have a Bible. Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And if you don't own one, take that one. I mean, seriously, it's like $5. Take that. If you want us to help you find another one, we'd love to. 
really would love for you to start bringing your copy of the scriptures to church if you have one. I know we got the slides, but unless you have a baby on your lap and three kids, uh, it's just better for you to bring your own copy. You can mark it up. You can write notes in it. um, And you can get used to reading your Bible instead of reading the screen because sometimes I mess the slides up. So um, we're going to be in Luke 5. And we come to a passage today. This is a fun passage. This is a sweet, fun passage. And I know for some of you, like fun and Bible do not usually find itself in the same sentence. But we as a church try actually to, to blow that, that myth out of the water. Because what the scripture says about itself is that it's, that's, that it's sweet. That it's actually sweeter than honey, that it's, it's more desirable than gold. In fact, when Jesus would preach, and I am not comparing myself to him, but there were people who would love to come listen to him just to listen to the word of God. And so this can be enjoyable. It doesn't have to be, oh, you know, and that's never our heart. But I want you to start seeing the scripture as it's something that's delightful because that's God's intent for us. And so a sweet passage, and, and really, very simply, we get to see Jesus doing what Jesus does. He changes lives. I mean, if you get nothing else out of this, you fall asleep, whatever, know this, that Jesus changes lives. And we're going to see two different individuals come into contact with the Lord Jesus, and their lives are going to be radically different. And one of the things that I had a real hard time this week preparing this message, because, you know, in in seminary they say, okay, you know, you preach one main idea, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm trying to figure out one main idea. But this passage is just so rich I just gave up like Wednesday. I'm like, forget that seminary thing. There ain't no professors here, and I don't really care. I already paid my dues. I ain't going to grade it. I don't care. So I just kind of took a shotgun approach this morning, and I'm just going to work through the text, and I'm going to give you, I got seven observations. I mean, and all the seminary professors would be like, seven points? Yes, seven. And I don't care what they say. They ain't going to listen anyway. They haven't invited me back since I graduated. Um, so, so I don't really care. Um, but, but what, big picture, what we're going to do is just kind of work. And, and really, this is something for everybody. Because I didn't want to narrow in just one person. So we got something. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a long time, a short time, or you're not even a Christian this morning. It's something for you. If things are going great in your life right now, everything's in a great place, man, there's some good reminders for you. If there is struggles and hardship and suffering, I think there's some encouragement for you. If you're tired and weary, I think there's some rest here for you. If there's guilt and shame and regret and all these things from your past, some of that here for you too. It's just something for all of us. Seven things, seven is the number of perfection. Who knows, this might be the perfect sermon. We'll find out, all right? But let me jump in and and see just these two narratives where Jesus changes lives. And and, and these two guys, y'all, this plays right into the theme of the book we've been talking about, fall and rising. That there's going to be a fall and rising depending on how people respond to Jesus. And what we find out is the people that, that are on the cuff, that are, that are the fringe, the people that you would not expect, they are right at the middle of what Jesus is doing. There is a rising. But those who you'd expect, the leaders, the, the scribes, they're on the out. There's a, there's a falling just the way they respond. And this is just another proof positive of that. So let's jump in. Verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And let's just stop there. Remember, this book is written by a man named Luke. He is a physician. He's writing to a man named Theophilus to encourage him, to kind of inform him of all the things Jesus has done. And Luke gives us his medical diagnosis. There was a man full of leprosy. It's the same word he uses earlier of Jesus is full of the Spirit. So what we have is a guy 
who has an advanced case of leprosy. Been years. Now, when we hear leprosy, we've been in the church, a lot of us, so we, yeah, it's bad. But the reality is this, unless you've been to India or some places in the Far East or, or, or Far South, you've never seen this. And even if you have, nowadays, it's not, it's, it's $300 worth of medication and you're gold, right? It really, it's literally very fixable. Just go down to urgent care. I got leprosy. They're like, here, here, take some Tylenol. We'll see you tomorrow. Right, it's not that simple, but it's not much further. When they hear leprosy, they go, death. It is uncurable. It is death. And, and the way it worked was this. And there's all different types of skin diseases that they call leprosy. But the main one was one where you'd see a little spot on your arm, a little spot on your face, and it would start small, a little discoloration, and it starts to spread, and it starts to open. And, and as it does, it just kind of contaminates the whole body, and it's on the eyelids and on the ears and all over your body. And, and it basically kills the nerves so that you don't feel anything on your body anymore. So your, your hands are numb and your arm is numb. And, and what would happen is, is your arms are numb, but you're lighting a fire and you accidentally burn your hand, but you just don't feel it. And, and basically what happens over time is you just, because you don't feel yourself, you stub your toe, you break your foot, you don't even know it, you cut your finger, you don't even know it, you actually wear your body out. It just keep, you keep rubbing it down to nubs and ears fall off and nose falls off and fingers and you basically are just, you're, you're crippled. And it's just a physically horrendous deal. But beyond the physical piece, the worst piece is the emotional piece, the psychological because as soon as you get this deal, you are immediately quarantined. You are out of the city. You are out of everything. You're gone because it's so contagious. And you would have to dress in these clothes that would identify you as a leper. And you would have to grow your hair out into like an 80s rock and roll mullet to identify yourself as a leper. And anytime someone's walking down the road or gets close to you, you got to yell out, unclean to identify so that they're because they're so scared they don't want you to sneeze on them they don't want you to get near you can't they had rules of how close you could actually get to these guys on a windy day 150 feet on a calm day because it was so contam you could so easily contagious so easily catch it right and, and that's that's what's going on here this guy's life is wrecked People were terrified. They didn't want to look at you. They didn't want to be around you. They could smell you coming, the decay of your flesh. It was a horrendous existence, right? Horrendous. And, and we don't have any concept of the fear that these people, uh, when you hear leper or unclean, we, we, don't, we don't get anything. The closest I can give you, and some of you ladies will know, this will be, hit you right home. When you get the email from the school, dear parents, we regret to inform you that there has been a lice outbreak in your child's class. And that is, that is a, lice is a powerful word. Okay, all the money, some of you are scratching. It, it just makes you itch. You don't even, you haven't even been around people. You're like, oh my gosh, I got to check myself for lice, right? And then you go home and bleach and sheets and wash and vacuum. It is a powerful thing. And when you hear that, it freaks you out. That is nothing compared to unclean. Because, yeah, life is annoying and you have to do a lot of laundry. This kills you. It, it radically changes your life. And so here's a guy. He has an advanced case, which means for years he's had this thing. And if he was married, which he probably was, that means he hasn't seen or hugged or touched 
his wife in years. If he had a couple little ones, now they may be teenagers. They might have a family of their own by now. And he's never got to pick up the grandkids. He's never got to hug his kids. His, his career that he trained his whole life, he was an apprentice and then he, he, he was an assistant and then he was this. His whole career is gone. There is no career anymore. All his buddies, all his friends he grew up with playing ball, they're gone. They don't want anything to do with him. He is isolated. It is lonely. He is despised. There is shame. And all he has to look forward to is a slow, horrendous death as his body falls off in front of his eyes. Right? And so that's what's going on when you hear leprosy. And so he is in one of the cities, which is actually not where he's supposed to be. He's not allowed in the cities, right? But he must have heard that Jesus was there. It's the only, only reason he would, he would have the guts to kind of go into the city. And so he comes and he's full of leprosy. And you can just picture what's going on. He's yelling, I'm clean! And everyone's, Psh! and they're scattering, right? Peter and James hiding in the bush, right? John climbs a tree. Everyone's running, Right? They're scared. Everyone except for who? Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him. And it's the same word that's used elsewhere in the Gospels for praying. He falls on his face and he says, Lord, same word Peter said after all the great miracle last week, right? A word of deity. Lord, if you are willing you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Not if you are able. He already believes he's able. Otherwise, he's not there. Lord, if you will have mercy, if you will hear my prayer, if you will answer me, you can heal me. Right? You can heal me. Jesus does what no one is expecting. And you can just imagine the gasp. Even Theophilus, as he's reading this, he probably was like, oh, as he reads this. Right? Jesus said, stretched out his hand and he touched him. And it's a word that's elsewhere used of clings. It's used of Mary Magdalene when she clings to Jesus after the resurrection. But it, what I want you to see, it's not a, okay, boop, done. It's not that. He touches him. Maybe two hands. He shows him affection. He shows him dignity. He reaches out and loves on this guy, right? The guy he wasn't expecting, the guy's expecting a, a word he gets a touch. And y'all, this is a man that has not been willingly touched in decades. No one's held this guy's hand. No one's put their arm around him. No one has hugged him. He hasn't felt touched. Can you imagine what that's like? We take that for granted. We walk out hand in hand. We hold our kid's hand in the Walmart, put our arm around our spouse, right? All the dating couples are all like, get their Bible in one hand. Ooh, I love you. You know, I mean, your touch, right? It's, it's so vital. It's what God has created us to feel, and he hasn't felt it, and so Jesus touches. And there was this rule in the day, and it wasn't Jesus' rule, but it was a rule that you couldn't touch a leper because if you touched a leper, then you would become unclean. So you would catch their uncleanliness, not just their, their leprosy, but you couldn't be ritually and ceremonial clean. And Jesus says, that's not my rule. That's not my rule. He needs my touch. I'm not worried about getting infected by him, but I'm going, to, I'm going to change him, though. There's going to be something he gets from me. I'm not going to get anything from him, but I'm going to give him something. And so immediately, on touch, the leprosy leaves. I mean, his eyelids, which are probably droopy, his face, all gone. It's like he's been using proactive ladies for like 30 years. He's like clean, 
If he didn't have fingers, I wonder if they like sprouted back, like whoop, you know, kind of like that, I am Groot, you know, that tree guy. I mean, like, you know, I mean, all of a sudden fingers and toes pop up. I don't know what it looked like, but I know that he was new, right? And so Jesus responds and says, tell no one. Tell no one. And the reason why is because once you start telling everyone that you got healed, everyone wants to get healed, and now Jesus can't go anywhere because the crowds are too big and he can't teach anybody, which is what he does anyway. But he says, don't tell anybody, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. What's that all about? A couple things. Number one, that the religious leaders of the day had a, a list of things that would happen when Messiah showed up, and one of them is that lepers would be healed. And that was very rare. Only three folks in the whole Old Testament that were lepers got healed. So this was not a common occurrence. So when Messiah showed up and lepers started getting healed, then you'd know something was happening. So that's going on. But the second thing is that the Old Testament had very specific requirements for what happened after you were cleansed from leprosy. And the thing you would have to do is you would go to the priest and you, would, and you can read about it all in Leviticus 14 if you're kind of a Leviticus guy. But um, let me just summarize. You would take two birds... And you'd have a bowl of water, and this bird you would kill over the bowl of water. And then you would take this bird, and you would dip him in the water, it has a little bit of blood, and then you would kind of like toss him out, and he would go free. And the picture was, something has to die so that you can be cleansed and go free. That's the picture. And then you would shave all your head, and shave all your eyebrows, you look all crazy. You put on a new set of clothes, you take a bath, and you basically look like a, a newborn baby, a grown man baby. Uh, with no hair and no eyebrows. Um, but you, it, you would look new. And the idea was, this died, this went free, so I could be new. So that I could be born again. And then a week later, you'll go back and sacrifice a couple lambs as your sin offering. And the big picture is this. Is that something had to die. There had to be a shedding of blood so something could be cleansed and something could go free. Right? And then someone was made new and was declared to be clean. You say, why all the rigmarole? I mean, why does Jesus go through all that? Can't he just be like, whoop, whop, clean, you're gold? Well, because Jesus came to fulfill the law. Right? That's ultimately it. And everything in the Old Testament law, y'all, all these rules and regulations and rituals, they all pointed to one thing, the person and the work of Jesus. So there was something going on here that's more than just, hey, here, just go and do what you want to do now. You're healed. He's trying to, to show us something. Because leprosy in the Bible is often a picture of sin. Because the similarities are so, they're so there. So you got leprosy starts small, sin starts small. Leprosy kind of spreads and contaminates everything. So does sin. And then it makes you numb. And then it isolates you. And ultimately the, the, the wages of sin is death. The wages of leprosy is death. There's no cure. And even the leper, in every occasion in the, in the Bible, it never says that lep, a leper is healed. Do you know what it always says? A leper is cleansed. Because it's a picture of sin. Both the leper and the sinner die. And their only hope is to be cleansed. And here's the kind of first big picture. It's probably the main point of this entire story. And, and so if you get nothing else, get this one. It's, it's so simple, but it's this. is that Jesus cleanses sinners. Jesus cleanses, washes, purifies sinners. And, and, and some of you are like, yeah, duh, church, got that. Others of you know, you don't get it. 
Because what you need to understand, look, in a church that has two services this full, there are many people that have come in the door this morning, and you would never know. You might have greeted them, and you might be sitting right next to them. Everyone's got their happy, smiley face, and their church clothes, and their cologne, and they shave, some of us, and, and, you're, and, and put on a little show. But you don't know that someone here inside feels shame and guilt because they did this when they were 16 and they made this decision when they were 25, and it hurt their husband and them. They never really dated right, and they, they should have never got this, and they should have never got married. Or there's some big decision that was made, some big moral failure. There's, there's people here that are struggling with the past. That they're thinking, if people here knew right now where I've been, what I'm thinking, if they could read my mind, they would kick me out of the church. Right? And we wouldn't kick you out of the church. Some may. We won't. But here's, if that's you this morning, and I don't know what it is, where you've been, here's what I do know. There is no one too sick. There was no one too filthy for Jesus to cleanse. No one. Right? And he is not asking you this morning to put on your best show and make everyone think. You know, it would be silly for the leper to say, okay, I'm going to put my best outfit on, put a little foundation on all these, like, eye parts falling out of my face, and, you know, I'll, I'll put a hat on so they don't see my hair, and I'll put some gloves on so they can't see that I only have a thumb. That would be silly. What does he do? He comes in all his nastiness. He comes in his brokenness. He comes in his rancidness. And Jesus heals him where he is. And that is what the church does. We come in our brokenness. We come in our sinfulness. And Jesus is not worried about catching something from us. What he wants to do is he wants to give you his purity, his righteousness, his spirit. That he wants to say, hey, though your skin, sins be as scarlet, they will be whiter than snow. What, this is what Jesus does. This is the hallmark of what Jesus does. And this is what he does for his church. Ephesians 5, he presents his church, his bride, spotless, pure, holy, blameless. Not because you are, but because he is. He gives you his righteousness. He gives you his purity. He gives you his holiness. If you want it. It's not a matter like this guy, Lord, if you, if you can do this, if you're willing, Jesus is willing. The question is, are you? Are you willing to get rid of your guilt? Stop trying to earn his favor? You can't. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how sick you were. Advanced case, dying, healed. And some of you need today need to call out and you cast yourself on the mercy of Jesus and you will find yourself clean. You will. That's the first observation. Here's the second. It's a question. Who are your lepers? <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is this. Who are the people that you're afraid of? Who are the people that you're scared to associate with? And I would challenge you that these are the very people that Jesus wants you to reach. Don't go up and say, hey, you're my leper. I need it. Pastor told me I need it. Don't do that. Don't, you're my leper. But I will say this, it's probably the person that you think is nasty, you're just like, that guy is filthy at the office. I can't believe he lives his life that way. It's probably the person that, you, that you're super annoyed with. I mean, super annoyed. That might be your leper, right? It might be that family member that's got addiction issues, right? 
it may be somebody that's forgotten in your family. Someone's in a nursing home. Someone's in prison. These are the lepers. That Jesus, Jesus did not come. We'll see it next week. He didn't come for the sick, for the healthy. He came for the sick. He came for the lepers. Not for the doctors. Right? And so that's, that's what we're about. Look, and, and for, just as an encouragement for you to know, I was a leper, and so were you. I don't care if you grew up in church or not. Most of you didn't. Or maybe you did, but you did your, your you know, typical church. Oh, I went off to college and I kind of did well, straight a lot. I strayed a ton. I wasn't a believer. I mean, I had people, I, if you were sitting next to me at the Applebee's with your family, I would have made you blush. And I wouldn't have cared that your four-year-old kid was there. Right? And so it was funny, when I got to seminary, I've told you this story before. I had a guy, a buddy in my class, he was studying to be an Air Force chaplain. And he told me, he said, hey, you went to Siddle? I said, yeah, I went to Siddle. He said, oh, my brother went to Siddle. What year? Class of 96? Oh, it was class of 96. His, my brother's class of 96. Well, your name, he told him my name. He went and told his brother and said, hey, dude, I, one of your buddies from, from Citadel's here. His name Bill Fowler. He was like, you are kidding me. <laughs> we used to pray for that dude every week at Bible study. I made a prayer list. I, that's how leprous I was. Okay? And so if this leper, someone can reach out to this leper and pray for this leper, then certainly, certainly you can. Right? All right? So that, that's the first two observations. Here's what happens next. Now the report about him went abroad. This guy starts telling everyone, I'm healed, I'm healed. And it's actually encouraging for him. And now yeah, Jesus can't go anywhere. So many crowds. Great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But, but notice this phrase, circle the butt. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That seems so uncharacteristically kind of Jesus, doesn't it? All these needs, all these people need to be healed, all these people coming. Where's Jesus? He's hiding on the side of the mountain. He got alone with the Father. He takes his disciples. And this, by the way, is the pattern in the Gospels. You'll see it. I mean, Jesus works hard. He goes and does all these things. But then he'll take some time off with his disciples. He'll go and pray. He'll go be with the Father. And here's the third observation. This is for some of you this morning. Is, is rest and refueling is actually a good thing. It doesn't seem real spiritual, right? It's not go to your quiet time. But you know what? God has created rest and you need it. He has given Sabbath. We'll see this next week. And it's, 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 the Sabbath was made for man, i.e. you need it, not man for the Sabbath. God gives rest and it is good. God doesn't need to rest himself. Seven days he creates and the seventh he rests. Why? It's a pattern for you. That you would take rest to refuel, to, to restore your mind and your soul and your body. And it is a good thing. And I, and I know there's times and seasons where you're working 80 hours a week and you're in your residency or you got this or it's a big project or whatever. I get that. There are times for that. But you need to take a break, a time for rest and a time for worship. Jesus did. Right? It's, it's a good thing. And I know some of you, you so we got some super high-powered people here. I mean, you could work 365, 24-7. Got, we got people that are just want to go, 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 go. You could be out every night. I get that. We got people that are caretakers. They're taking care of kids. They're taking care of their parents. They're doing all these things. And when you're constantly pouring out like that, it is imperative that you get some rest. It's imperative. Rest is good. Some of you need to learn a very simple word. You know it already. You need to start using it more. You know what it is? No. Everyone say no. no. Say you can do it. Now, now, when I ask for people to work in the nursery, you say yes. But everything else, you can say no. <laughs> now, there's times to say yes, but there's times you don't need to feel guilty. There's always going to be 10 more things on your list. 
always. And you are not more spiritual. Let me just tell you, you are not more spiritual just because you don't take your vacation days. I never take my vacation days. Well, you are dumb, sir. <laughs> because they're there. All right? And I'm not, I'm not talking about, I know there's times of busyness. I get it. Jesus needed to get away with the Father. He needed to pray. He needed to rest. What does that mean for you? You ain't Superman. You're not Superman. It is a good thing, right? And so maybe a day down at Tybee, read a book. Maybe it's a movie night. Maybe, you know, husbands, your wives have been, you know, doing all these things and you're just going to give her a night out. You feed the kids hot dogs and mac and cheese. Moms, they will not die, I promise. And you go out and you take care of the kids and you play Nintendo or whatever with the kids so she can get out. I don't know what it is, but you need to take time. You need to be purposeful about it where you restore your mind, your body, and your soul. You need to get, and not just your body, your mind and your soul too. You need time with the Father. You need time in the scripture, but it's a good thing. And so some of you need that. Let's continue on. Next story. First guy restored. First guy changed. Here's the next guy. One of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. It would come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. So you got a bunch of these Pharisees and, and these teachers. And Jesus has the power to heal, it says. Okay, now we hear Pharisee, and if you grew up in the church, you immediately go, bad guy. Right? That's what we do. We know Pharisees mean bad guys. But the reality is most of us don't know why. We're just like, Pharisees, bad guy. That's because Bill said it, right? But here, here's what you, so you need to understand. These guys weren't as bad as you may think. In fact, you probably, if you lived then, you would have went to one of their churches. Okay? So the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders, not priests, who their job initially, when they began, was to keep people in line with the Mosaic Covenant. That's a good thing. The reason they did it is because every time in the Old Testament the Jews blew up the, the law, something bad happened. Right? So they go into captivity, or there's a famine, or all these tragedies, because God said, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't, I, I, there's going to be cursing. So their job, they're just trying to, hey, people, this doesn't go well when we disobey God, so let's obey. The problem was, that's a good thing. The problem was, the way they did it is they made all these rules. They put a fence around the law. So if the law said this, they would say, well, let's get it a little further so people don't even get close to that, and we'll make a rule. So Israel blew off the Sabbath for 490 years. That's a long time. So God says, I'm going to get all 490 years back. So he puts them in captivity for 70 years. So like, we don't want to blow off the Sabbath anymore. So here's what we're going to do. All we're not supposed to do is work. We're just supposed to have fun, relax, rest. But we're going to make rules that people can't even walk this far. That way there's no way they'll blow off. Right? And, and we don't want to break the dietary laws and all these things. So what we'll do is we'll make all these rules on how we're supposed to, you know, wash our spoons and how we're supposed to, you know, you know, do, deal with our spice racks. And, just, and what happened over time is the intent to keep people in line to follow God became just so blown out of proportion that they, 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 all the rules became the most important thing. And so it was no longer about worship. It was no longer about grace. It was no longer about faith. It was all about keeping the rules. And if you didn't keep the rules, they would ostracize you. And, and so that is why they're the bad guys. And they're all there to hear Jesus, not because they really want to hear Jesus, because they want to, hear, they want to check in on him and see what this new dude is and what he's talking about. And they're in this house that is so crowded that they can't fit any more people in it. But notice what it says about them. And Luke goes out of his way to highlight it. They were sitting there. Why is that important? 
There's two reasons. Number one, if you're trying to get more people in a house, you don't sit on the floor. You stand, right? So we can just cram everybody in like, yeah, we'll just kind of stay here and it'll be nasty, but at least we get more people in. But they're not having any of that. They're going to sit. Why? Because sitting is the position of authority. It says, I'm the boss. This is why Jesus, when he teaches, he would sit. And so what they're doing is, I really don't care that we can't fit more people in here. I am sitting because this guy, this nobody from Nazareth, is not telling me that he's my boss. I am not under his authority. So you can just picture them just sitting there with their arms folded, taking up space while outside all the people that really want to be there can't get in because they're in there just to, just to check on Jesus. And here's the observation. This is a biggie. All right. Don't let your religion keep people from Jesus. What you have inside is religious people. What you have outside is some men bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they're seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. There's these buddies. We don't know how many of them there are. But they're trying to get their paralyzed buddy to Jesus. And they got him on this kind of like a redneck cot. Right? It's don't think bed like they have their, you know, their mattress and they're carrying. It's just like this jerry-rigged thing that they're dragging the guy in. And they're trying to get in. And there's no way in. Why? Because the religious dudes are taking up all the space. So the guy that needs to get in and wants to get in can't get in. Because the guys that don't really want to be there are taking up all the space. The religious people are keeping people from coming to Jesus. Don't do that. And, and, and I know you're thinking, well, I don't, you know, I don't do that. I had plenty of seats next to me this morning, and I let people sit next to me. I'm not talking about your seat in church. Here, here's some examples of how religious people keep people from Jesus. That you may so misrepresent the Lord Jesus at work, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you treat people, that someone may at one point been interested in Jesus. Well, I... I was kind of interested in Christianity, but that guy says he's a Christian, and if that's, that's what Christianity is, I don't want nothing to do with that. It's a religious person that keeps people from Jesus. Or maybe it's like these guys that you make it all about the rules, about do's and don'ts. Pharisee literally means to separate. And some Christians think that it's their job to say, uh, Christianity is about don't, don't drink, don't chew, don't go to girls with do. It's about what I don't do. It's about what I don't do. I don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to, I watch the TV. I don't have any non-Christian friends. It's do, do, do. It's all about that. And you have misrepresented Christianity. There's no Christ in it. And you keep people from Jesus. Or maybe it's about all about the facts for you. I mean, you're great at going to coffee shop, 6 a.m., having a four-hour quiet time, doing all your homework taking all your notes, writing in your journal, and then you go light everyone up at work. Then you go slam the kids. Then you go disrespect your husband. Then you go talk trash about this person. And they're like, yeah, that's, that's great. Four-hour quiet time. What's he studying? How to be a jerk? Is that in there? All right. Or maybe it's all about your preferences. This type of music, this type of schooling, this type of, this type of translation of the Bible. Maybe you're keeping people from Jesus because you are flat out joyless. No joy. That you're known for what you are against, not what you're for. Or maybe you have so linked, and this is a biggie, especially in the Southeast, you have so linked Jesus with politics that people don't want to hear nothing about it. Look, there's, all, there's, some hip, there's hypocrisy in all of us. I mean, if you're like, oh, the church is full of hypocrites, I don't, yeah, come join us, okay, right? 
Everyone is a hypocrite somewhat because everyone is a sinner. But, but, but sometimes we're more than others. Sometimes we're the guy that says this and that and has my Bible and this. And then it comes out the guy's having an affair. Or he got a DUI last weekend. And he's been slamming, you know, drugs and slamming this. And it just brings the name of Jesus to no respect. One of my, one of my kids, he's in second grade. He has a teacher. And this lady is a stickler for handwriting. I mean, a stickler. I mean, if the, the line is not 90 degrees, I feel like it's like, oh, you know. But here's the thing about it. She writes notes home, and her handwriting is the neatest handwriting I've ever seen. I think she's created the English language. <laughs> she is the inventor of the alphabet. That's how neat her handwriting is. It is unbelievable. And so I'm like, you know what? She has the right to slam my kid's handwriting because her handwriting is impeccable. Right? It, I mean, it's not like some doctor that says, yeah, you need to have good handwriting. And you're like, you know, you know that doctor's right. You can't read it. No, you know, it's just I, it's the way it is. But it, that's, it's, that's, I can have respect for that. It, people don't have to agree with you. But at least if you're consistent, there's some respect. Right? And when their life falls apart, where are they going to go? I, we just don't want to be people who actually, by our lives, are keeping people from the Savior. How tragic would that be? How tragic. Instead, we want to be like these other guys, right? I mean, these other guys are quite amazing. I mean, they are finding a way to bring him to Jesus. They are persistent. They don't just get to the door like, oh, well, sorry, Hank, you're out. I mean, it's too crowded. Let's go home, right? You're just going to have to live as a paralytic. Sorry about that, dude. We tried our best. What do they do? They're like, we can't get in. We can't get in the window. We can't get in the door. Dude, let's climb up on the roof. That's why I said these guys are rednecks, by the way. Okay? So they're like, dude, let's get up on the roof. Yeah, man. It's awesome. So they climb up. And don't think roofs like our roofs, like angled. Think flat roofs. That's the way they are. And don't think like shingles. Think wood strips or tile strips. Okay? And they climb up there. And, and, you know, Jesus is in the, in the corner teaching. It's pretty crowded in there, you know, and the windows are full. And you can just picture it, y'all. I mean, this is almost comedic where you, see, you, see, you hear some shuffling and, you know, Jesus is teaching and the Pharisees are all, like, looking up. And all of a sudden, there's some dust coming down. You know, it gets on one of the Pharisees' robes. He's like, dude, what in the world? I just washed this thing. You know, and all of a sudden, there's a little light come through. You see, like, a finger. And the guy, you see an eyeball. No, no, Hank, he's over there. He's over on that side of the room, okay? And so they can move over, and then there's, and all, you know, the same thing goes over, and they're taking the, the, the shingles or the tiles or whatever off, and all of a sudden, down pops this guy. He's paralyzed, so he can't move. He's kind of just hanging there on this cot right in front of Jesus. And then first, like, I can't believe I got this robe dirty and all this thing, you know? They're all mad, and Jesus just looks at him, right? And it, and it says they, he's, he, he sees their faith, and it's all of their faith, not just his. It says they saw their faith. It's, it's amazing to him. And, and let me just say, we don't want to be the Pharisee guy. What do we want to be? We want to be cot carriers, y'all. We want to be cot carriers. Be creative. Be a redneck. It's okay. But the point is this. They did not give up trying to bring people to Jesus. Are you that creative or do you quit? Well, I invited them to Easter last year and they didn't come. Did you offer them a ride? Hey, dude, because that's what, oh, I just don't know where it is. I don't, 
Yeah, because everyone doesn't have the internet these days. But yes, there's always excuses, right? There's always going to be obstacles. So if someone's like, hey, I just don't really know how to get to community group. I really don't know where your church is. All right, you show up at 8.30. Honk, honk. Hey, here's some coffee. Come on. We'll go out to eat afterwards. Yeah, I just don't understand the Bible. I don't, I don't even have a Bible. Let me buy you one. I got your name on it. Right? Oh, you know, I'm so busy. I'm working on the car. Oh, cool. You're working on the car. Could you show me how to change the oil? I'm going to come over. Just show me what you're doing working on your car. You like, oh, you're playing golf? Oh, I'll, I'll go play golf with you. I'll go fishing with you. It's just being creative. People need Christ. Either they do or they don't. And if they don't, then why are you here? See, he says he's, he's making them fishers of men. This is Jesus teaching the disciples. Very good lesson. What, is a, what does a fisher of men look like? Well, I got the leper, and now I got the paralytic. This is what you're going after. We want to be cot carriers, right? Not Pharisees. So there he is dangling away, and Jesus sees their faith, and he says, man, and it's the equivalent of buddy or friend, your sins are forgiven. And understand this is a radical statement by Jesus. Because no religious leader speaks like this. Right? Muhammad doesn't speak like this. Buddha, Krishna, all these guys. They'll tell you the path to forgiveness. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to get reincarnated. You got to earn your favor. You got to pay God back. But nobody says your sins are forgiven except for Jesus. Why? Because he can forgive sins. Your sins are right now forgiven you. And you got to figure old Hank hanging there is like, oh, well, thank you, Jesus. Kind of not while I'm here. I mean, in case you didn't notice, you know, I looked like the puppet from Sound of Music. I know, there's a lonely girl, you know. <laughs> My movie trivia is broad, y'all. <laughs> He's, I mean, you got to figure it. He's not there to get his sins forgiven, right? His buddies are not going through all that. They ripped up the roof. They're going to have to pay the guy back. They, that's not why they were there. Not initially. Right? And here's the next point. And this is a biggie. It's a hard one now. This is a hard point, but this is an important one. That Jesus has already met our greatest need. It's not that Jesus is oblivious to the guy hanging there. He, is, he knows. But Jesus is there to meet our greatest need. And, and hear me. Your greatest need right now is not to be out of the trial or the struggle that you're in. It may feel like that. I know. Especially some of you, and they're big. But your greatest need is the fact that you were created to know and have a fulfilling and satisfying relationship with God and sin has blown that up. And Jesus has met the need of your sin by offering himself as a substitute just like the bird so that one can go free and then rising again as we sang earlier. That's your greatest need. And it is the hardest thing as a pastor, I can tell you. Hardest thing as a pastor is not teaching. The hardest thing as a pastor is to see the struggles, to see the hurt, to hear the why God hasn't, why hasn't God done this and why would he allow this and why, why, why. And I don't have an answer. And I would love to say, well, in five months it's going to be fine and this, but I don't have that answer. In fact, as elders, we have prayed for sick people and sick people have gotten better and we have prayed for sick people and sick people have went home to be with Jesus. Why? And why this? But here's what I do know. In a hundred years, 
your worst trial may be one sentence in your story. You might not, in, in the kingdom, this huge thing right now that you're going through, and I'm not downplaying it, but it will be as nothing because Jesus has met your greatest need. And I know you feel in the middle of it like he doesn't care and he doesn't love, but he has proved his love and he has proved his care and that while you were a sinner, he died for you, meeting your greatest need. And maybe, I don't, I don't know why God allows things. I don't know why he does. But I know this. The one thing that brought this guy to Jesus was his biggest issue. He was a paralytic. Maybe God is allowing this, whatever it is in your life right now, to draw you near to him. That's all I got. Right? But I do know this. That he has forgiven us for those who have called upon him and repented and turned to him. Of our sin, that is your greatest need, right? That is your greatest need. One last thing. So these, Jesus says your sins are forgiven and it makes these religious leaders flip out. Scribes and Pharisees begin to question saying, who is this who speaks such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that is a true statement. That is a good theology. Who can forgive sins? Nobody. Only God. And so Jesus is perceiving their thoughts and he answered them. You got a question? I got a question. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? He said, what's, what's easier? To say rise and walk or your sins are forgiven? I can tell you very simply, it is easier on the surface to say your sins are forgiven. If someone comes down in a wheelchair that's paralyzed from the neck down, what's easier for me to say get up and walk or your sins are forgiven? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because it can't be proved. I mean, if I say rise and walk and they don't walk, then, then that cannot be proved. So he's saying, which one's easier? And they're, they're thinking, well, it's easier to say this. And then he says, just so you know then, so that you know that Son of Man, that's him, it's a messianic title, has authority on earth to forgive sins, i.e., so that you will know I am God. And if you ever hear Jesus never claimed to be God, take him to this passage. Because he is claiming to be the son of man. He is claiming to be God. He is claiming to be able to forgive sins. So that you will know that I have the authority to do this. I'm going to do what in your mind is harder. I'm going to tell him to get up. And so he says to the guy, pick up your bed and go home. Boom. Muscles strengthened. Mind, the ability in his, in his ner nervous system, in his mind now. He can balance. He can walk. He ain't walked. I mean, you've seen someone that's never walked before. They're going to wobble. He gets up like he's been running marathons, and he is out the door glorifying God. Right? And, and everyone's standing in shock like, uh, we have seen extraordinary things today. Yeah. But the point is this. I have authority to forgive sins. I have the authority to make people walk. I have the authority. And they do not like it. And they criticize him, and they are harsh with him. But he says, hey, how do you like this? And here's the last, last thing, right? It's, it's number seven, is don't be a sermon critic. And I'm not saying don't criticize my sermons. My sermons aren't perfect, right? And I'm not, you know, if you're going to email me, email me Wednesday. I'll forward it to Rad, and he can tell me what you said, all right? <laughs> but the point is this, is that sermon critics come not to hear Jesus. They come to crit critique Jesus, they're not interested in, in, in being changed. They're not interested in being challenged. They're not interested in following. They're interested in, in resisting and opposing and debating. 
And don't, don't be that. Not to me. I don't care if you do it to me, but don't be it to Jesus. Jesus speaks. He leads. Do what he says. Don't, well, you know, I, you know. No. Right? Because I'll tell you this. Sermon critics are never cot carriers, period. They're not. Right? Because they're so concerned about their self. I've oh, got dust on my arm. This is my brand new church shirt. That they won't get near lepers and they won't get near paralytics. So let's be a people that follow, listen, are changed. Right? I can, I can give you seven more points, but I don't have time and you'll leave before I finish. So, um, if, but the big E on the eye chart, y'all, is that Jesus changes lives. He cleanses sinners. He forgives. He saves. If you are filthy this morning, not physically but spiritually because, because you just have guilt and shame, Jesus cleanses sinners. He cleanses sinners. He forgives the guilty if you call upon him. And if you're the religious kind of working out your own system of righteousness and, and you have, you're judging what Jesus has to say or I don't like what this church says about this, you need to stop. That's what Jesus would say, stop. You need to turn from your arrogance and your pride and you need to believe in me. All right? And, and we're going to close. We're going to celebrate the table this morning as a church. And, and here's, here's something interesting as I was thinking about it. Jesus asks the Pharisees, what's as easier to say, rise and walk or your sins are forgiven? On the surface, rise and walk is easier for Jesus to do one miracle, right? I mean, but think about this. What is really more difficult for Jesus, to heal one person or to atone for the sins of many? One miracle is nothing. The harder is actually your sins are forgiven. Why? Because it cost Jesus his life. Because he was the lamb that was killed that the leper would go free. He is the bird that was slaughtered and the blood shed so that the other could go free. He is our substitute. And he knows that. That's not a surprise. He knows he is going to Jerusalem to suffer And it is his joy to do so. For the joy set before him endures the cross. And so we're going to remember that as a church. This was the harder. But Jesus did it because of his love for his sheep. And if you're not a Christian, we'd invite you to just consider the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers through faith and what he has done. And so the guys, you guys can come down. They're going to hand out the elements and... As they do, you're just going to have some time to reflect, to listen to the, to, the, to the worship team, and then you can take when you guys are ready. But I want you to just remember, you're holding two elements in your hand. You're holding a piece of unleavened bread that has been pierced, that has been bruised. It has no leaven because leaven pictures sin. And, and you're holding what represents the perfect body of Jesus, bruised and crushed for you. Right? His body crushed so that you could go free. And you're holding a cup which pictures the blood of the covenant. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So as you take, celebrate what Jesus has done for you so that you might have eternal life, so that you have your greatest need met. And so as you celebrate and you remember in a few moments, then we'll just stand and continue to worship. Let me pray.